Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. It's great to see everybody today. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. I want to start by reiterating some things we said last week. If you were with us last week, I was at our Segan location, and we were installing Steve Elworth as our site pastor there. We're so thrilled to have him in that role. And if you've uh, sat under Steve's teaching, you know what a gifted communicator and teacher of God's Word he is. I will say again to those that didn't hear me that last time, Steve was on our, has been on our staff for 12 years. That means he started at about 12 years of age, and he's 24 now. And... Um, but I encourage those that have found in Steve a trusted voice um, to join him in that move. He spent most of his time here, he and Amber. Uh, but if he's a trusted voice for you, in other words, if you can't wait to hear the word of God from him, join him. Join him, encourage him, and uh, go expectantly to hear from God's word. I'm always impressed when I take my notes to Steve and say, Steve, these are my thoughts. And he looks at them and he works on them a minute and goes, what about this? And I go, ooh, that's better. And he's just very, very gifted. So we stand on, um, as he mentioned uh, last week, the shoulders of those that go before us. Um, we have a 10-year vision to send um, 300 people into ministry, 100 of those to the hardest reached places of the world. We started that, but we've started it, and it's not new to the chapel's history. The chapel has been ascending church and supporting global mission for a long time. And today, Carrie Clark is here. I have to recognize you, and she and her husband serve faithfully. And I just want to say thanks for being here, and you're so welcome. Let's give her a hand. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, when people give an entire lifetime to global ministry, uh, it's just their life. And they're like, it's, it's just what we do. But for those of us that observe it from a distance, it's awe-inspiring. And so thank you. Thanks for being here. Um, a couple questions as we start to kind of get you thinking uh, about our passage maybe differently. Here's my first question. Who on this earth loves you more than anybody else? Now, the problem with the question is that I made it a comparison, right? Maybe it should just be, who on this earth loves you? And immediately, various faces will come to your mind, names will come to your mind, people will come to your mind. Hopefully, there's more than one, more than one person. It's important to know who loves us, who we can go to. Here's my second question, a little different. Whose love of those people that love you, whose love do you allow in? A love to, to inside your interior life, into your heart, into your mind, that lifts you up like a rising tide, who comforts you, who, who pulls you into safe harbor, who is a, a trusted voice, a trusted person to whom you can cry, to whom you can confess, to whom and with whom you can be honest about what's going on in your life. The real reality is to know those that love us is one thing. To allow their love to transform us is another. Whose love do you allow to transform you, to mold you, to shape you, to call you up, to call you out, to call you into community? Whose love has access to correct you, to bolster you, 
to steady you when your life begins to wobble. The truth is, we all want to be loved. And we all struggle with receiving love. That's the truth. Brennan Manning wrote a book called Abba's Child. I recommend it. It was written in the 90s, so it's a little dated, but he tries to touch on this fact. He says this, We cannot accept love from another human being when we don't love ourselves, much less accept that God could possibly love us. And then he tells a little story, and I wonder if you can relate to it. Here's what it is. One night, a friend asked his handicapped son, Daniel, when you see Jesus looking at you, what do you see in his eyes? After a pause, the boy replied, His eyes are filled with tears, Dad. Why, Dan? The father replied. Even after a longer pause, the boy said, Because he's sad. And why is he sad? Dad asked. And Daniel stared at the floor. When at last he looked up, his eyes glistened with tears of their own, and he said, because I'm afraid. So here is a young boy with a disability that we're not told about that's asked to imagine Jesus looking at him, and he can see that clearly. And what he sees is Jesus looking at him with tears in his eyes because Daniel knows he's afraid. Brennan Manning follows up with this statement, sorrow lies excuse me, the sorrow of God lies in our fear of him, in our fear of life, in our fear of ourselves. He anguishes over our self-absorption, over our self-sufficiency. Richard Foster wrote, today the heart of God is an open wound of love. He cares over our, he, excuse me, he aches over our distance our, and our preoccupation. He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we have forgotten him. He weeps over our obsession with muchness and manyness. He longs for our presence. I wonder if you could believe today that God loves you and wants to be near you. He wants his love to be allowed in to your interior. Here's what happens, and we know this instinctively, that when love is allowed into our interior, it changes us. And the love of God is no different. If we can allow it in, it will change us. I wonder if you could believe that God longs to be with you that much. Today, in just a few verses, we're going to talk about being children of God. And God's children are deeply loved. He longs to be with them. He longs to eliminate all their fear. He longs to bring assurance and security of his love. He longs to give them an inheritance that will not fail, uh, perish, or, or fade in any way. That's what's on his mind. 1 John 3, 1 says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us? Lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. Because that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is doesn't know him. To have the love of God lavished on you. The only barrier at times is you. The only thing that's keeping that love from transforming you is you. And so my prayer today is that you would know the love of God deeply in your hearts, that you would receive it and allow it to, to work in you, to, to heal you, to encourage you, to strengthen you. And we're not unaware when I say we, uh, the band, 
Tori, others that have prayed and prepared for today. We're not unaware that you come in with yesterday's burdens and, and sorrows on your mind. We're not unaware that tomorrow's uh, opportunities and anxieties are right around the corner. But I would ask that you could be here today and that you might be bold enough and brave enough, that you might be humble enough to say, God, would you speak to me today from your word? Would you begin to transform me with your love? And I'd like to pray to that end for us. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for our morning. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would use it to change us, that we might become, in a new way, saturated in your love and by your love such that it transforms us. Lord, I pray for those that come with heavy hearts on what happened yesterday, this morning, last week, last month, last year. Would you meet them here and bolster and encourage them with your love? Lord, I pray for those that are worried and anxious about tomorrow, about next week, about next month, about this summer. Would you quiet their hearts that they might hear from you today? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our passage is chapter 8, verse 14, 15, 16, 17. Just four verses. And as Tori said, if you have a Bible, look there. If you have an app, look there. I would love for you to leave with one of these verses as uh, just something that you spend more time in this week, that you might just take it and read it and maybe memorize it and meditate on it and sing it to yourself, well, however you want to get it into you. Here's what it says. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit of God you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are our heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed you share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. That's our passage. To begin with, I want to kind of set the stage with something Steve covered last week. We can go back to verse 9, which establishes something that's really important. It establishes the true mark of a Christian internally, interior, in the interior, is that they are... Uh, they house the Holy Spirit. Here's the way it says it in verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, talking about the Roman Christians. If indeed, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and it did, and it does in those believers, and he knew that, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit, they do not belong to Christ. Pretty straightforward. To be a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit live and dwell within us. John would also say um, in 1 John 1.12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so there's this point where we trust in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, and we become his children, and we are indwelt by his Spirit. And that's 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 where we begin. So first point, the children of God are indwelt by His Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in us. He gives that to us. And that's, that's where this whole thing starts. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, 
Maybe you're investigating. Maybe you're wondering. You're going to hear about the love of God, and I hope it draws you to him as the loving father that he is. I hope that you allow that to speak to you. But everything we say is really, from this point on, is for the Christian. And so I just want to be clear that that's what's being said here. But it's our hope that not only do you meet Jesus and know him, but that you follow him. And that's what we'll discuss in more detail. But if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, I'm going to invite you to do that today, to put your trust in him. No longer yourself, no longer your failures, no longer your past. It's not a hard concept to get your mind around. It's a hard concept to get your will to act on if you've never done it. It's an act of the will where you put your trust in what he's done for you, believing that he is who he said he was and did what he said he did. And part of what he said he would do is send the Spirit to those who trusted in him. But before we get to that, let's, end, let's begin where we ended last week in verse 13. It says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you're going to live. And he's talking to Christians who have the Spirit in them. John Stott the British writer and pastor said it this way, if you let the flesh live, allowing it to prosper and flourish, the real you will die. But if you kill the misdeeds of the body, if you mortify them by putting them to death in the power of the Spirit, the real you is going to live and thrive. He concludes with this, each of us must choose between this way of life and this way of death. How are we going to live? And so that's where we step in today. And verse 14 is really similar to verse 13. Those who live in the Spirit. But it's going to talk about it just a little differently. Back to verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. There it is. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, many times you may hear in, in the popular world, you know, we're all children of God, which sounds great. It's just not the way the Bible describes it. The Bible says we're all create, we're, we're made in the image of God. We're creatures of God. But we become children of God when we, by an act of our will, trust in the grace of God and trust in the Lord Jesus. So there's this, there's this movement. And he's saying, hey, if you're led by the Spirit, and it doesn't mean you're, it's, it's more of a statement of fact, right? Those that are, have the Spirit in them, that live by the Spirit, that have the Spirit in they're the children of God. That's what he's saying here. Children of God. And here's what I love about this. If you're a child of God, then you're not alone. If you're a child of God, you're not alone in this world. You're not left, as Jesus would say, as an orphan. So in John 13, 14, and 15, Jesus is in the upper room, and he's teaching his disciples right before he dies all about what's about to happen and the fact that he's going to send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to dwell in us, to transform us. And he says this in verse 18, of chapter 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you all alone. In Jesus' day, an orphan was totally, totally exposed to the elements of the world. They had no protection. Pastor Jack Miller, years ago, wrote a list, and I had to get my hands on it, and he asked the question, what does an orphan look like? And this is what he described, and as he described it, I, I felt like too many of these bullet points actually applied to me. He has a spirit of being all alone. An orphan has a preoccupation with self. 
is distrustful of others, is isolated, is trapped. An orphan has fears and anxieties that control life. An orphan needs strength in himself to complete a task. An orphan doesn't, an orphan doesn't know how to love. An orphan feels condemned and guilty and doesn't feel accepted or forgiven. An orphan is motivated by a survival mentality. It is all up to me. An orphan sees their worth as determined by what they do, not who they are. Wow. In contrast to that, he says, what does a, what does a beloved daughter look like? What does a beloved son look like? And here's how he answered that. A beloved child believes that their sins are forgiven and therefore they can forgive others. A beloved child accepts their position as a child without condemnation. A beloved child lives in freedom from bondage of the law and of themselves. A beloved child is learning to go to their heavenly father in prayer to settle problems and have their needs met. A beloved daughter or son has a growing assurance that the God of the universe is my father. A beloved child is forgiving instead of judging and condemning, putting off defensiveness and learning to listen to others. A beloved child learns to rely on the Holy Spirit to tame the tongue for exclusive praise and encouragement rather than complaining and gossip. A beloved child is learning to delight in God's will and obey it from the heart. A beloved child is learning to quickly run to Jesus with my mistakes and burdens and needs and seeking daily forgiveness and cleansing. What about you? Do you can, when you look at those lists, do you find yourself more thinking as an orphan? All alone, it's all up to me. I've got to prove myself. I've got to demonstrate my worth. Or do you see yourself as a beloved child who's growing in the grace of God? If you see yourself as that, as that orphan, you're not alone in this world. The Spirit of God lives in you, wants to guide you and lead you through this life. So in your outline there, children of God are indwelt by His Spirit and led by His Spirit. The Spirit's leading is an unbelievable assurance that we have as children of God. It's unbelievable that we have somebody that's going to lead us. Now, when I, when I go through life, I kind of want to get through it with as, many, uh, with as few mistakes as possible and get to where I'm going. And so Jesus gave this great warning in Matthew 7. Hey, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. They run through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So I'm going, Jesus, you need to lead me. Now, I don't know about your smartphone, but my smartphone has too many apps. <laughs> There's an amen <laughs> behind that laughter, right? It's just got too many apps. I have three apps for just navigation. I'm directionally challenged. Given the opportunity to go the wrong way, I will take it almost every time. So I have exclusively relied on Waze. Waze. Why Waze? Well, Waze is populated from crowdsourcing. Everybody on the highway is talking about the road that they're on and telling me in real time, there's a police officer, there's an upside down milk truck, you know, whatever. And so I, I can see it coming. I can relate. I love it. And if it's big enough and bad enough, they're going to say, you know what? You need to reroute. You need to move. 
Now, if you were in a car in the 70s, driving or as a passenger, we attempted this with the citizen band radio, the CB. Smoking the band, it made it real popular, so we all tried it. That's where you talk to anybody about any road. <laughs> the whole point was, hey, can you clear the way? Can I know where I'm going? You don't need an app to get through life when you have a heavenly father to whom you can go to, who knows the beginning from the end, who knows how to navigate you through the issues that you're faced with. If you would only come to him and yield to him and respond to him, man, would that make a difference? We don't, we don't, we, we can go to our father in heaven, whose name is holy, whose kingdom's coming, whose will I want to do increasingly as I yield to the Holy Spirit, who provides for me daily. So Romans declares it, right? Be led by the Spirit. The book of Acts, we see it played out where the Holy Spirit actually gives direction to people, gives conviction to people, gives restraint to people. Let me give you a few examples. In Acts chapter 8, Philip, one of the disciples, is told by the Spirit, listen to how clear this is. See if there's any vagueness in this. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Wow, that would be awesome. Tell me where to go and stand. And he would go and stand and meet an official from a foreign country and introduce him to Jesus and baptize him. I wish I had that happen every day. A few chapters later, in chapter 10, the apostle Peter has been having this dream about more food. I guess he was a foodie. He's got this dream and he's eating unclean food. And he wakes up and he's like, wow, I'm a Jew. I can't eat pork. And he's all confused. And it says... In chapter 10, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, there are three men who are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I've sent them. Okay, I could use some of that direct. Kevin, go here, do this. Mm, recognition. The church was gathered together. They were, they were praying and fasting for God's leading, which is a lot of what we did in February and asked the church to pray for our site pastor. And this is what it says. Paul and his companion, excuse me, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I've called them. Now, some of you, when we told you that Steve Elworth would be our new site pastor, they said, I knew it. I knew it as soon as Andrew had to go. I knew who it was going to be. To which I replied, yes, but Steve didn't know it. And as we prayed, and as we sought the Lord, and as we fasted, fasting is not to get God's attention, it's to focus your attention, right? I'm listening more into it. It became clear that we were to set apart Steve for this work. It became clear to whom? To me, our team, to our elders, to Steve. <laughs> Most importantly, continuing, restraint. Paul and his companions were traveling, taking the gospel where it wasn't. They traveled through the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter uh, Bithia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. You can't go in. No. Hmm. And then in chapter 20, toward the end of the book, Paul says this. 
And now compelled by the Spirit, there's a conviction in me. I'm going to Jerusalem and not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. Sensitivity to the Holy Spirit in us allows the Holy Spirit to lead us. How do I become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit in me? Let me give you some ideas. First, if you have known sin in your life that's unconfessed and undealt with, deal with that. It would be disingenuous to go to God and go, hey, yeah, I know I'm living a duplicitous life, but we'll worry about that later. What I need right now is your wisdom and your knowledge. Can you just give that to me? No. Let's deal with all of you, not some of you. So confess known sin and deal with what you know is at the table. Secondly, yield. Yield yourself, your will, your willpower, and say along with Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. Now I'm in a position to listen to him. Now I'm in a position to where I might be more sensitive to what the Spirit's doing in me. They were fasting and praying. Again, a great idea. Some of you need a fast desperately from social media. I mean, desperately. You need to turn that beep off. It's always fun to do that because you filled it in. <laughs> I didn't. I just beeped. <laughs> you filled it in, so... Shame on you. Uh. <laughs> you need to fast from social media. Why? Because it's just not true. And imagine what would happen if you just didn't hear that. Or the news, or your news feed, or maybe food. You get away and you start fasting from food. Guess what? You're going to be thinking about food all the time. And if you took that opportunity to focus, not God's attention, you can get it. Uh, you focus, not God's attention on me right? I'm not trying to manipulate him. I'm trying to get my attention focused on him. So I fast and I pray. I confess and I repent. I yield my will, my timetable, my, my, my watch. And I say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me. And I pray. And I fast. And I go to the word of God and I say, get, guide me, lead me. And I go to the people of God with what God's put on my heart. How do you confirm God's leading in your life as compared to something I ate last night that didn't settle well with me? You, you bring it to the Word of God. You bring it to the people of God. Fun, fun little side story. Steve, in this process of praying over this role, had a list of questions that he wrote out. I've got these questions. Well, after praying about them a month, guess what happened to the list? It almost evaporated. And when we sat down to talk about it, we were in sync. And I would attribute that to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. So you get into the Word of God, you get around the people of God, you focus your attention after you've cleared the slate, and you validate what you're hearing from the Word of God and the people of God, and then you step out and you act. Do you want to hear and be led by the Spirit? Do you trust Him to lead you? Because He does desire to lead you, because He loves you. And so many of us want the long map. I want all the next steps. I want the whole thing. I want to go to my app and do an overview and see where I'm going to go over the next 600 miles. God doesn't give us that. He gives us about three steps. Why? Because what he delights in is a child that is dependent on him like holding the hand of a child. Make sense? He's leading us step by step. 
not, okay, here it is. So number one, uh, number one, we're indwelt. Number two, we're led. And then verse 15 has three phrases, and I'm just going to look at the first two. Here they are in um, 8.15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Adoption to sonship. What a powerful statement of reality. Children of God are, therefore, indwelt by His Spirit, led by His Spirit, and freed by His Spirit from slavery and fear. Now, in the Roman world, a child that was adopted, they had laws, and it was very deliberate, and it was very arduous. But to adopt a child meant that you wanted them to, to carry your name forward, to keep your, your, your line going, to be a, someone that would inherit your, your property and your estate. It was a big deal. And so the Roman readers would get that. I'm an adoptive father. I have four adopted children. My mother-in-law has 10 grandchildren. I mean, excuse me, 12 grandchildren, 10 of which are adopted. Adoption is a huge part of our family. And it's just a beautiful part of our family. And there's no, there's no difference. It's a deliberate work. And it should be. And he says right here, it doesn't make you... Uh, slaves, so that you live in fear. Now, if you were raised by an oppressive parent, whether they're foster parents, adoptive parents, or birth parents, this is a hard thing to hear. I was talking to somebody between the services, sitting next to her husband of some 30 years, and when I asked, who loves you the most, she didn't think of her husband. She thought of her parents, that she still has. And I said, don't let that confuse you. They've loved you longer, right? I tell my kids that all the time. You've only loved me part of my life. I've loved you all of yours, so I win. And she goes, that's helpful. I said, it's just, just where you went. But she has such a unique, loving relationship with her earthly father that this is not hard for her to grasp. If you've had a horrible relationship with your earthly father, then to think without fear is often difficult. And we all, all Christians, need to migrate from our allegiance and love of our earthly parents, which is temporary, to our allegiance and love of our heavenly Father. And, and the sooner we can do that, the better off life will be because our earthly parents are not perfect. Actually, they're quite flawed. They're doing, most of them, the best they can do. Some of them, not so much. Others may have been horrible, but here we get this beautiful idea that, oh man, we get to be included in God's family. Jesus said to his disciples, hey, I no longer call you servants, John 15. I'm going to call you friends because servants don't know what the master's business is about. And I'm going to tell you everything he's told me. And then he goes further and calls us brothers and sisters. We have a special. So do you operate out of fear? to earn your spot, to prove yourself. A life full of have-tos, not get-tos. You might be operating as a slave, not as a beloved daughter or son. And one of the things that drives us back to that mentality is failure. When we really blow it and we mess up and we disappoint or hurt people, our friends, our spouse, our family, God himself, we can just feel awful. Remember Luke 15, the prodigal son came to his dad and said, hey, I want my share of the inheritance now. In other words, I wish you were dead. 
I'm going to take what's mine and I'm going to go. And it says he went and he partied and he had a good time and he went broke. And to feed himself, he had to be with unclean animals and feeding. And then it, it says he came to his senses and he said, my dad has servants on his property that live better than me. And he works up his little speech and he says, you know what? I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home because I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. I'm going to go home and I'm going to be a, a servant. And maybe that's where you struggle. He did go home. And you know what it says? It says the father ran to him, latched his arms around his neck, put a robe on him, put a ring on him, put shoes on his feet, killed the fatted calf. The older brother's outside, won't come in. What does dad do? He goes to him too. And the older brother says, I have served you all my life. Same problem. They don't see themselves as sons. They don't see themselves as sons. Brennan Manning again from Abba's Child. God calls us to stop hiding and to come openly to him. God is the father who ran to his prodigal son when he came limping home. God weeps over us when shame and self-hatred immobilize us. Yet as soon as we lose our nerve about ourselves, we take cover. Adam and Eve hid, and we all have followed suit in one way or another, hide. Why? Because we don't like what we see. And what does God see? He sees a child that he loves struggling with life whom he wants to help. If they would just turn and return to him. I wonder about you. Are you at a place where you're like, I'm going to come home? You can come here and still stay far away from God. People do it every week. But maybe you would lower the guard and say, I'm going to come home. I'm going to come home, and with all that I have, I'm going to be received by my father. Can you imagine what that son felt like? Rembrandt's picture is probably my favorite, as the son's kneeling, and his son and his dad has his hands on him, and his filthy, stinky body putting clean clothes on him, putting new shoes on him. External, but would you let him into your interior? Hmm. Would you come home? Would you return? This is the last part of 15 and 16 say, and by him, the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies to our spirit that God, excuse me, the spirit himself testifies that our, with our spirit, come on, Kev, the spirit within himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 declare objectively you're loved by God. Right here, right th- in this passage, it says there's a subjective reality where the spirit of God inside of us will confirm to our spirit that we are loved by God. We don't just know it objectively. We actually can know it subjectively. And the assurance of the Spirit's work in our life is a great ministry of the Holy Spirit in every believer's life because there are days when we just feel so far from Him and we need that work. It's not a doctrine to understand with our head. It's something that we need to delight in in our soul where we let the full access of God work over us and how do we know that, that, that it's working in us like this? You can hear it in the way you address him. First, you do talk to him. Secondly, it's not formal. It's not detached. 
It's not like talking to a boss. It's intimate. It's accessible. You know, it's like babies without teeth. They all have the buh, 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 papa, abba. And when you get some dentals, you can say dad. But before that, it's all buh. It's this infant sound, this intimate sound of calling God your father. And when that starts to well up in you and you run to him quickly, oh, it's powerful. And that's my prayer for you. I have adult children now. And if you have adult children and you're in the room, then you all, we all long for, to talk to them. They're busy living life. And we want to talk to them. And last night, my, my oldest son called me. And um, he, I don't know how to tell you what he does, but he edits audiobooks. He's got really good ears. So he listens to audiobooks and he finds... I would be like the worst person to read an audiobook, coughing and hacking and sniffling. He goes and he finds all those sounds and he takes them out. And he's been tasked to listen to a book cover to cover, a big, thick book, cover to cover. He can do it in multiple languages too. Cover to cover, twice, two different readers. It's the Bible. Somebody's asked him to listen to the Bible in its entirety twice. And he's doing it. And I'm like, that is so cool. So we're, you can tell how excited I am about this. And we're talking about it on, on FaceTime last night. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're talking. And his son, my grandson, Barrett's pulling on him. Dad, dad, hold on, I'm talking to Poppy. Bye, 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 bye. Hold on, I'm talking to Poppy. And he looks at me and he says, Dad, there's something going on here that's pretty interesting. Two boys wanting to talk to their dad. And I've already told him no twice. And I said, ah, oh, my heart was so full. I said, go, go, go. We're all talkers. We have long run off everyone else. Mary's gone. The dogs have left. <laughs> My daughter-in-law's gone. Yeah, we're all talkers. But God loves for you to be with him if you're even not a talker. You just want, it just, and it, Oh, do you need that kind of assurance today? Would you say, I'm going to confess the known sin in my life. I'm going to yield my will and my willpower to him. And I'm going to say, Lord, I want to hear from you. Would you work deep in my heart? Would you, would you give me that confirmation that I am deeply loved? And throughout church history, many, many, many people have written about being overwhelmed to the point of just inactivity. They're flooded with the love of God. It comes over them, transforms them. It leaves them speechless in tears because they've let it into the interior. And that type of intimacy is so critical as we face problems, as we face trials. And that brings us to our last verse, verse 17. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs. We're heirs with God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory, Proverbs 13, 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. You're thinking not only for yourself, but the generations that are come that you'll never see, possibly. Your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. This is what a good man does. This is what God does. And what is his inheritance? It's himself. I am the inheritance. And yet there's this future aspect to it that we will get. We're heirs of God. I don't know what your first quarters look like, your last quarter of 20, 
uh, 22 look like? How many taxes you had to pay? I had a couple businessmen call me complaining about taxes this year. They were just checking to see if the Bible actually said, give to Caesar what is Caesar. I said, yeah, it says that. And they're like, this is killing me. Right? God's inheritance is unaffected by world wars or the stock market. And the sooner we latch on to that, the more peace we'll have. It is not only that we get to experience him, but we are co-heirs with Christ. And how did Christ get to this place of glory? It came through suffering. And our inheritance of glory will come the same way as we live for Christ in the large ways and the small ways. You will feel pushback. You are feeling it. You can't just be a Christian in secret. It shows up. Jesus said you'd have struggles in this life. But we're heirs of God. This, this is what we have as children. Children of God are indwelt by His Spirit, led by His Spirit, freed by His Spirit from slavery and fear, assured through His Spirit, heirs of God with Jesus. In the New Testament, there, there are four pictures painted about our salvation in four different arenas and places. I want to, I want to paint them for you as I, as I end. The first one is in the temple. And then in the temple, you bring a sacrifice for sin. And God brought his son as a sacrifice for our sin. And we are free to go. The next one is the courthouse. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, we have, uh, therefore, since we have been justified, that's a legal term. It's a different arena. It's a different word picture. We're in a courtroom and we're guilty and we're acquitted because the judge pays for our offense. He comes from the bench, he comes down and he pays our debt and we are free to go. So you have the temple, you have the courtroom, you have the marketplace and in the marketplace, the imagery is slave trade. I'm a slave to sin, I'm bound, and I'm on the auction block. And the word in the New Testament that's used is redeemed. It's redeemed. I'm redeemed. I'm purchased from the slave market of sin. And I'm led out of that market. The chains are broken and I'm free. In the temple, I've been freed. In the courtroom, I've been acquitted and freed. In the marketplace, I've been redeemed and freed. Where does the sinner, the criminal, and the former slave go at this point? Whew. She goes home. God says, you're free to come be a part of my forever family. And this is the fourth picture. And I'm going to adopt you. And you're going to be my child. And you're going to get to inherit all that I have. And you're going to get to be a co-heir with Christ. Wow. Wow. It's clearly not our tradition in this church, but can I get an amen? amen? Thank you.
boy, that's not, that felt good. <laughs> I felt really good. Now I know why it goes on. That's just amazing. And so many of us act like orphans and we've been adopted. We walk around in fear and we have been set free. We're not slaves, we're beloved children. So many of us listen to the clamor of this world and we can't hear the gentle assurance of the Spirit in our life. We distance ourselves from the people of God and the Word of God and we wonder why the Spirit of God seems so faint. We forget and think that it's all up to us and only what I can accumulate is going to last. God says, no, I'm here and I'm here forever. I wonder. What ministry of the Holy Spirit needs to work in your life today? Which of these verses stands out? Which of these four do you need to meditate on and memorize and internalize? I don't know. But I needed all of them this week back where we started. If you've not trusted in Christ, he stands ready to free you from sin, to acquit you from the law, to redeem you from the marketplace, and to bring you into his forever family. What a journey he's made available to you if you would simply trust in his sacrifice. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for our morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the powerful truths that are here. Would they work deeply in our heart? I pray, Lord, for those that need your leading, that they would yield their willpower and find it. Lord, I pray for those that are consumed with fear and anxiety, that they might rest as sons and daughters. Lord, I pray for those that need the assurance would you give them the words, Abba, Father, may they come off their lips, may they approach you humbly, beseech you honestly, receive your love fully, be transformed completely by the Spirit's work in their life. Lord, I pray for those who have become overly consumed with what this life offers, forgetting life doesn't end here. Now, there is inheritance and an eternity waiting on us that's beautiful, it's powerful. It waited on Jesus, and he looked to it to get him through the struggle of the cross. It says in the scriptures that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So, Lord, I pray now for those that need to trust you that haven't. If that's you, and you're here, and you've never trusted Christ, would you do so today? He invites you by an act of your will to trust all that you know about yourself, all you know about him. Just bring yourself to him. Confess that you're going to believe in him. Turn from your sin. Repent and come to him. Be received by him. Be transformed by his love. This is what he offers. Would you receive it by believing in his son? Say yes today. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.